0: This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following, the club, and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now, it's time to decentralize. For those of you just joining us, welcome to TJF DCT, the Decentralized Trials Club here on Clubhouse. If you're new here, we gather here live every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, 9 to 10 Pacific. Together we cover a range of topics related to bringing forward innovative strategies and approaches for clinical trials and medicine development for research in general. If you're new, feel free to tap Decentralized Trials within the Clubhouse app in the upper left. You can follow the club there, get a scroll ahead to what's in store in the coming weeks, You can also go back in time and visit the replays of past gatherings here. There's some great content there because our topics are so diverse and we're so fortunate to be able to bring on guest co-hosts almost every week. Covering topics, whether technical around interoperability, sensor, wearable, EHR integration covering topics that are human attributes around patient input and study design, whether around diversity and inclusion, patient experience, covering uh, collaborations and solutions that people are developing, covering regulatory considerations. Today we're going to have a little bit of fun, though. We're going to take a slightly different turn and play a little bit of prognosticator. Take a few minutes together where we can all share some forecasts and visions and plans for the year ahead, where we can also share maybe some survival strategies and what are we thinking uh, we can do as individuals or together to help navigate the complexities and uncertainties in the current environment and make sure we're able to keep making progress together. As always, if you have topics you'd love to see us cover here, uh, please reach out. Let Amir, Jane, myself know what those topics might be, what's of interest to you, and if you'd like to be a co-host, just let us know. We'll get you added to the calendar. We have some co-hosts coming up in the upcoming weeks that will cover everything from uh, unmet needs and gaps around sensor and wearable data. We have some folks that will be sharing some data that they've gathered around patient preference for decentralization and more. So keep those ideas coming to us, keep raising your hand and stepping forward. Amir, any other thoughts as we kick off 2023 together?
1: I think lots of thoughts, um, but I'll wait to, I'd really love to hear more from other people first, but uh, once we get through some of those, I certainly have lots of things to ask people and things to talk about. So I think we'll see if we get the time for that.
0: Well, as most of you know, our format is usually to have a guest and a topic. We'll kick off the first half hour, uh, kind of opining and exploring an area together, and then open up uh, usually around the second half hour to hear from you. And what are your thoughts, questions, ideas, perspectives? Today, we're going to open things up a little earlier than usual. Uh, and so if you have areas that you'd love to uh, raise your hand and step forward to share, you don't have to wait for that half hour mark this time around. You can just take advantage of that hand-waving icon on the bottom of your screen. We'll pull you up on stage. One other housekeeping note, as Amir always likes to remind us, make sure you're tapping some of the profiles of both the voices you're hearing, but others who are here in the room with you. They share your interests. They share your passion around today's topic. They could be great connections for you to follow, whether here on Clubhouse, follow on LinkedIn, follow elsewhere to continue to build these connections, to continue to build this community. Uh, Clubhouse also has a great little chat feature, and so we'll Certainly keep an eye over there for those that don't want to step to the mic, but may have a thought, idea, perspective. Jane, other than wet outside, what, uh, what is on your radar as you're coming into this new year, hitting the ground running? Uh, do you have any thoughts, predictions, forecasts as you're thinking about your 23 and how you're getting ready for it?
2: Well, thanks for asking, Craig. Really appreciate it. Um, I think the theme I'll start with is getting more regulatory input. And what I mean by that is I think we're going to see some trials read out that have used these methodologies, and we'll see how those uh, data sets are reviewed and accepted by regulators. So that's one element which will help drive evidence of impact or help us understand what to do better. The other thing is I think although we haven't seen an FDA guidance, there's a whole lot of different elements that collectively are showing me personally that the regulator with these ideas and necessarily tell us how. So just that hey Jane, we're
0: methods. we're losing you here, Jane. I think this uh, storm is making your connection a little less stable than usual. Is that is that coming through the same for you, Amir?
1: Yes, correct. Yep.
2: Shoot. Well, is that any better?
1: Yes, it's a,
0: it is better. Let's let's go with it, and I will uh, step in if if you start to go robo on us and break up.
2: So regulatory, that's the theme. showing that these methods are acceptable to regulators and understanding how to make them work. That's where I'm headed.
0: Yeah, that's a great uh, a great sentiment. You know the regulatory perspective is, has been clearly painted for us as being bilateral. The regulators want to hear from this community. They are open and receptive. they are looking for input. Um, whether we saw it from the FDA with the Oncology uh, Center's call a year ago, which didn't get a tremendous amount of feedback for them, but also some of the work they're trying to do now with City to keep pushing to get input inbound. We'll keep seeing organizations like DTRA, Transcellerate, Acro, and others, as well as those in Europe uh, continue to engage with regulators to to share. And as Jane is pointing out, We're already seeing some of the the fruits of that input through some clarity that's coming back out last month's gift from the European regulators with their recommendations and considerations around decentralized which we're all expecting will soon be followed by similar feedback from the FDA in terms of providing some operational clarity for different stakeholders so I uh, this is a two way conversation and it's great to see um certainly the regulators are active, looking to
1: listen, looking to share.
0: Amir, your thoughts on Jane's share there?
1: I, I think it's a very important um point. I'm gonna actually try maybe to introduce a new thing. So I'll zoom out a little bit and um you know, today normally this time of year I'll be in Las Vegas at CES. Uh but because I have a big trip coming on Sunday I chose not to go this year, but uh Talking to friends who are there and then thinking about, as we mentioned, people going to JP Morgan next week. Um, I, what I'm thinking about, so sort of one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about is kind of the elephant in the room, which is, you know, everyone's looking at all the layoffs in tech and elsewhere and this worry about recession. And I think everyone, no matter what their role is, what company they're in, I'm sure th- this is something that uh, people are thinking about. One of the things that, you know, I I wonder how we can prevent would be kind of the group think. And what I mean by that is there's the reality of situations. I mean, the reality is people are being laid off and have been laid off. But also the reality is there's a lot of positive things. There's still uh, investments. There's still, you know, good things going on. So one of the things I think about is kind of the reality of the macro situation versus whether it's the investors or whoever having this they always have this group think where they all get together and get depressed or just get paralyzed thinking there might you know there's a recession or that no one you know so how do we prevent um you know i'm an up to optimist by nature but i think we have so much work to do and so much to get done um, how do we prevent people from um just you know having this group think around, that, you know, 23 is going to be a difficult year and uh, things are going to slow down, etc. because I don't think that's necessarily true, and the extent of that and the length of that, a lot of that has to do with people's sentiments. So I'll be interested to hear people in the room, you know, what they're thinking about that, you know, what they're seeing as sentiment, how they're feeling, and can we, you know, especially in areas like the way around that are very much at the cutting edge, kind of forward looking, how do we prevent, you know, people just getting into this group think that everything, there's doom and gloom everywhere? So that's kind of the elephant in the room, the sort of thing that I would love to hear other people's perspective on, uh, but that's my perspective on it.
0: That's a great setup, and I'll be really interested to see uh, if folks have their own thoughts, experiences, perspectives here. You know, when you mentioned some of that, Amir, you know, while on the one hand, we can think, you know, about that question in, in big, expansive ways. Um, I, I remember in my big pharma days, whenever there was a reorg coming around because of, a you know, a slip in the share price and bad news was coming. The parking lots outside would start to empty out. People would stop showing up, they'd keep their heads down, they would get very cautious, um, in those times. And, you know, we just were clearly less productive when there was that type of anxiety in the air. And so while on the one hand we can think about, well, what does that mean for us from a, a big perspective? But, you know, are, are are people in our org still showing up and are they showing up primed and receptive to to keep pursuing the new or are they uh, do we risk amplifying that sentiment of fear and and creating this collective retreat um, just because we're all kind of amplifying it and seeing the parking lots empty out a
1: bit well and also i mean we all know that this is exactly the time where great companies are formed where this is the very time that you really have to, instead of retreating into a shell, you have to be, you know, even more agile and proactive. So, um, you know, um, so I'm hoping that we can encourage and how can we help each other, make sure people actually kind of keep the energy going and don't feel paralyzed by what's going on. We have a lot of smart people in the room. I'd love to hear, put your hands up. I'd love to hear what you're seeing, what you're hearing. You know, I'd love to hear that because I think it's important, as you said, uh, Craig, both in the macro way and, you know, uh, and also specifically to do with, you know, the things that we're all working on. Looks like Rob has something to say. Welcome. Rob,
0: welcome. Come on off mute and introduce yourself for folks that haven't had the pleasure. Rob, your your mute button should be in the lower right if you're struggling. There you There you go. Thanks, Craig. Thanks,
3: Amir. Um, great intro. Um, I, uh, as Craig and Amir know, I, I am in digital health now, but I ran two global healthcare investment banking groups and, and their venture firms for 20 years before I retired from banking, both at uh, what is now Wells Fargo and Rural Bank of Canada. And so over that you know, period, I saw quite a bit of these hype cycles. Going back to the, the 80s with the biotech boom, you know the 2000s with the genomic boom, uh, up and down cycles with different unique devices, and um, even uh, the, the, the entry and beginning of the CRO industry. And so I, I think um, what happens when these cycles happen is there's always a, there's this boom-bust mentality, Amir, which I think you're absolutely accurate. We've got to get away from that. Part of this is clearing the hype um, and resetting valuation and un- unrealistic expectation about how difficult it is to, to make progress on some of these unique healthcare and technology issues. And so, you know, my experience has been with financing a number of companies over these cycles is, you know, this is actually a, a, can be a very good time, you know, for companies to do exactly what Craig says: bear down show up and, dis, and, and demonstrate the evidence that you need to encourage long-term investment and progress in the space. So I think of this as an opportunity, um, you know, when you have a reset like this, money gets tight and people have to focus their attention and energy. Um, I think the, the way you get out of it is by people giving a persistent message of value and quality that is validated. Um, In any start of any new business in healthcare, you have to demonstrate evidence. Um, You know, a lot of people, i financed, as you guys may know, a number of the genomics companies in the 2000s, and everybody thought, you know, once DNA was mapped, we'd start to print drugs quite accurately and quickly. And it took an entire ecosystem of hardware, software, um, analytics, computer strength to come together to actually make that promise true. And I I use that comparison quite a bit with digital health. You know, the building blocks are in place, but let's bear down and demonstrate the evidence um, that we need. And also, also do that within the context of focusing on what we're all trying to do, which is improve patient health and make more efficient and more efficacious the pharmaceutical development process.
0: It's hard. To, it's it feels scary though, Rob, to uh, to step forward and show up when um, when others around you maybe uh, maybe retreating. I I remember I, I was pretty new at Pfizer when I experienced my first reorg happening there. I actually joined Pfizer on a Monday, and that weekend, torcetrapib failed. That was supposed to be their follow on to Lipitor, and it it kind of created a lot of change in a hurry. But I had very little to lose, right? I was kind of a new guy there anyway. So when people started not showing up because of fear in the environment, it made it kind of easy for me to step up and say, well, let's do a little creative destruction and create something new amidst this chaos. Is there opportunity? Like you were saying, this is an opportunity for some to step forward, to build, to create, to invest in, the future despite the current environment but i would imagine for some that can be really daunting intimidating scary right rob Uh,
3: it can and a lot of it has to do with both the you know the size and the financial wherewithal of the organization so people who um, in our sphere were fortunate enough to raise funding when funding was available have the money to be able to maybe weather a little bit of that storm And that takes some of the fear away from, you know, your rank and file employees and and investors that if they stay the course, they can make the money. But, you know, I think the scarcity of capital can be a good thing also in terms of creating that focus and separating out the hype and really instilling and finding those people that have the drive and the capabilities to advance the industry
0: some great perspective rob i hope you can uh stick around with us as we're uh hearing from a few others i appreciate your stepping forward and nelson it's always good to see you over there i know you've had a lot of change in your household at home nevertheless managing your your business in this environment i hope all are well and your new year's off to a great start
4: well thanks craig and and thanks everybody um yeah i I think this is an interesting topic in the way Amir, you phrased the question um, here about how there's a doom and gloom attitude in tech, and that's carried over to some companies. And I think that if you, when you're calling yourself a tech company, um, you get associated with the bad news of tech. But the, uh, I think there's an angle that a bunch of businesses are portraying themselves as. Um, that, and I've sort of seen it because rather than be involved with the VC worlds as a site owner, I interact more with the, um, investment bankers and PE, but people have never seen so safe an investment as healthcare, uh, today. So like Axios this morning, their headline was like record-breaking year in blockbuster drugs, um, You know, everyone knows that you're um, that or at least the attitude among the financial world is, well, we, you know, drug companies have to pick out what drugs they are going to test 10 years in advance. So because that's how long it takes to test. So there's a total guaranteed pipeline. I mean, that's at least how they describe it uh, without knowing how the industry really works. And I think it bodes well uh, for people here that, you know, Lilly is expected to have the first drug to beat Lipitor ever uh, And their obesity drug we're gonna have an Alzheimer's drug approved today So there's big drug news that I think gives everybody raises everybody's boat
0: Thanks, Nelson Really appreciate your perspective on today's topic especially then thinking about kind of this macro environment with new product launches right it is it is fascinating it'll be in particular fascinating as we're seeing this new reimbursement future starting to uh show itself here in the u.s um what will be some of the consequences will we continue to see drugs rivalry rivaling uh lipitor like uh, back in the day and it seems like still the case is probably true
1: Amir. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I agree with what Nelson's saying. And then Lilly is just one company, right, with the GLP-1 uh, inhibitors. So there's, I think that's a huge sort of blockbuster class coming, as and that's not the only one. But also, it makes me also think about Nelson's comment about the fact that, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, optimism about things that are happening in the life sciences. I remember interviewing, actually, at CNS Summit, two years ago, I think, um, someone Cedar Novartis as ahead of all their AI and technology, etc. And one of the topics really was the challenge of competing with Google's and Amazon's for tech talent, right? And I think it's interesting because everything, in, you know, I always think of silver linings, uh, but even then it was like, well, we can get people who truly want to work on, you know, bio and important stuff. So that's how we try and attract track them from tech. So maybe one of the silver linings, you know, really is there is a lot of layoffs in tech and there is a lot of need within life sciences for people, you know, with tech backgrounds to help on the data science, et cetera. So that's something that maybe will make life easier for us to uh, be able to leverage that technology knowledge than they would have been if the tech uh, bubble continued, you know, forever.
0: Thanks, Amir. And thank you again, Nelson. Let's keep this conversation going. We see our friend Xenia is here. Xenia, welcome. I hope uh, your 23 is off to a good start.
5: It's off to a great start. Hello everyone and happy new year. Um, I'm actually in a in a founder style role with Smartomics, which exists within a publicly traded company called Sharecare. So I can certainly relate to a lot of the things that people are saying. Um, I always cheekily describe economics as quantified emotion. And you really do have to manage that quantified emotion and that sense of doom and gloom, not just with investors, but I think it manifests very differently uh, in your own internal teams with your customers and what they might read about you and your industry, Uh, the market that you're going after at large, the community, your investors. I think I really agree with Rob, though, that it's it's a positive time to clear away some of the hype. Um, and it's a great time to focus on validation not just clinical validation of solutions but even just sort of real world evidence and perception studies that focus on how quickly you might be able to achieve product market fit when you're coming from the tech company side of things suddenly investors that i have spoken to believe that healthcare and life sciences are the least tumultuous Certainly, a little bit more immune um, I think I agree, Amir, that there will probably be a great influx of tech talent. And I'm out here in Silicon Valley, so I'm reading about the layoffs every single day and it's it's sad to see, but if we can get some more talent, the traditional software engineering roles and bring some of those principles into what we do on the life sciences side, I think it might benefit us. I mean, there's no doubt that I think when you see an empty parking lot or you see everybody away on teams, which is what it looks like for me sometimes, it can be very difficult. But once you clear away the hype and you focus on validation, that can be very convincing for everyone around you, because then you've got something that you can really talk about.
0: This is a great recurring theme. And you know this is so important for so many reasons. When we talk to pharma sponsors inside of groups like DTRA and others, they struggle navigating the hype and it's not surprising and it steps on progress it stalls us when people have to go through cycles to try to disintermediate fact from fiction hopefully now we're we're at a place of maturation to start to see much more meaningful evidence both based on real world examples of where platforms and solutions have been deployed but also wherever possible when organizations are able to invest in developing that type of evidence for themselves.
5: Yeah, I think. Oh, sorry.
0: (laughs) Right, Uh, Suzini. I mean, how much of that uh, evidence do you think will come just organically based on the real world experiences of platforms that are now out in the wild and being used? Or do companies, do tech and others need to continue to make their own investments and in running their own validation studies or other method studies to really defend their platform in, in, in a new way?
5: It's a cop-out answer, but both, right? I think that the validation that you see in products that are used to validate drugs or different assets, all the way to having pharma become more accepting of incremental evidence and validation i think that's kind of what i was trying to touch on earlier right now when we think of clinical validation and evidence there's usually a very narrow definition in part because that's what regulators require but in this kind of market i think incremental very quick rapid validation of certain ideas or concepts or aspects of drug development will allow you to be uh, more de-risked as you go through a process. And given that I think the investment community probably looks at you know a, a company developing a new asset and says, wow, it's gonna take us a long time to, to see the benefits of that. These smaller, more incremental approaches to validation that can show you that you're on the right path might become more acceptable. I think they'll only become more acceptable though if they become cheaper. And that I think is the call to action for, for tech companies um, to make those things more affordable and more accessible.
0: Jane, do you have thoughts based on what you were hearing from Xenia in terms of that story of evidence generation and uh, uh, the investments that may be needed there?
2: I do, but I was thinking a little bit more about how to use what exists now in the ecosystem to help build that understanding of evidence. So how do we actually take the content that's being generated in publications and in studies that are already underway or complete to make it more publicly accessible so we don't all have to recreate the experiments. Now we might need a little validation experiment but it's probably more about the use case than the principle, if that makes sense.
0: Thanks, Jane. And it certainly makes sense also thinking about ways to make sure that this evidence doesn't uh, that that it gets sunlight and that people can know where to find information, reliable information, reliable evidence. I know that's um, been an important part of DTRA's initiative landscape and will certainly be an important priority within DTRA. Over the coming months, as more and more evidence starts to build, how do we make sure that the ecosystem knows where to find the evidence that's out there?
2: Especially, just adding in the obvious maybe, but Xenia, I agree with you that these proof points, if you will, go beyond the regulatory read on the use of these new methods. and sponsors still really desperately need the proof points from the regulators that this is acceptable
0: thank you jane thanks so much xenia stick around let's uh we're going to turn over to you pinder in one moment but just because we are roundly at the bottom of the hour this is a good opportunity to remind folks that you've landed in the decentralized trials club coming live on clubhouse if you are new to this crowd to this community be sure to click decentralized trials in the upper left screen within the clubhouse app it'll be an opportunity to get a glimpse ahead for upcoming uh gatherings as well as to be able to get some blasts from the past and be able to access the library of replays of conversations that we've had over the last year plus of gatherings here we do gather here every friday 12 to 1 eastern 9 to 10 pacific live for this conversation on a range of topics related to the global adoption of decentralized research those topics come from you our community and so if you have themes that you'd love to see us cover together in the weeks and months ahead reach out and let myself amir jane know and we'll make sure to get that built into our Uh, Calendar and hopefully have you join us as a co-host to help explore any of those topics. Today, we're keeping it a little less formal. We're talking about a look ahead at DCT and just simply navigating in our environment in 23. Uh, We've so far heard some really nice perspectives, whether it's around expectations and trends for clarity and opportunities to engage with regulators, what will be the role of evidence generating uh regarding some of these platforms and approaches and will there be a new bar that starts to emerge that uh, buyers that operators, sponsors will require and expect to see more evidence associated with these platforms and given the current economic environment how do we make sure that we're still showing up and that our community is able to continue to make progress and not lose momentum by kind of spiraling with the uh negative sentiments that are easy to see out there when we we know folks are being impacted in different organizations so plenty of us to cover uh together if you'd like to jump in on this conversation take advantage of the hand raising button in the lower right of your screen and you can join rob nelson xenia upinder doug and other voices contributing here upinder Good to see you here, my friend. Please uh, come on off mute, say hello to folks and share some of what's on your mind on today's topic.
6: Hey, um, thanks, Craig. So hopefully you guys can hear me okay. I'm still recovering from a bit of a virus. So uh, God, you know, I'm uh, my, my throat's a little bit deeper than what it normally is. But uh, um, what I would say is um, having gone through a recent reorganization, um, I'm now finding myself in a area and department which took me by surprise. But then, you know, there was some reasoning behind it. So I'm involved in an area. So I'm moving from clinical operations where I was doing a lot of work around DCT and uh, collaborations and doing some other stuff. I'm now moving into an area of data science and artificial intelligence. Now, why took me by surprise is because I'm not a data scientist. I've never done statistical programming. I I I I you know I I know a little bit about data but um it's an area which we're definitely doubling down on and the idea is how we could apply more data science and ai throughout the entire value chain within pharma um one thing we're not short of in pharma is data the one thing we're not very good at is how we can reuse historical data but uh, uh, the you know where the interesting bit comes in is that um I can buddy up with the data scientists, and I can utilize my experience and knowledge of clinical processes and how we can utilize the data with the experience of somebody like a data scientist, of somebody who knowing who, how they can process large volumes of data to get to generate insights and do certain things. And budding up together is where we're going to get value within the organization. So I think to to Emma's point, um, yes, there is opportunities for new skill sets within pharma. I remember when I first interviewed for pharma, the very first question I was asked was, have you ever visited a site before? And I remember when I said no, there was eyes rolling around the table saying, oh my God, this person never visited a site. How can you work in pharma? Well, that's changed now. And I think um, the, 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 the transferable skills and the skill sets required within pharma are, are, are changing. And um, we're certainly going to see a, a, a lot more sort of change heading into more sort of the tech area, and and data science being the big area and focus that uh, is definitely going to uh, uh, have investment. But um, you know, you can have the data scientists who who know how to do lots of wonderful things with with the data, but if they don't have the experience and the knowledge of the clinical processes, and that's where you need the budding up. Um, you know there's you end up with a lot of hype and a lot of over promises but with under delivery and uh, that's what we're hoping to kind of change
1: so Eunda, you mentioned by the way, your voice sounds great um you mentioned a few things that are kind of interesting first of all um I, I'm quite um, I don't know to be happy or to surprised by your interview panel when you were looking for that first job where they were surprised you hadn't been to a site to be honest with you, historically, many people are farmer in R&D had never been to a site so the fact that they expected that is a surprise to me so so it's a it's a good thing that people have would have that expectation so i think your point you're making though is that it was very hard to get into pharma without experience you know that was relevant uh yeah. which may be easier now so i i understand the point but i also think that uh, it's kind of funny that they 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 were shocked that some people didn't have visited sites. many people never have uh and never had um the other thing is kind cover of, you remind me kind of the fact that you are still based in the uk right yes i am yeah i think um there is a lot of doom and gloom in the us sometimes especially driven by this tech uh, the tech kind of recession um and one of the things we kind of forget in the u s is actually compared to in you know, the last few years, quite honestly we we have a lot of reasons to be more optimistic about unlike most of Europe, we're kind of energy independent we 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 have a lot going on in the u s that other regions of the world are struggling with right now, so I think there's lots of reasons to be optimistic and I think you being in the UK, you know, particularly, I mean, you know, the UK is going to be suffering quite badly economically, even compared to the rest of the EC, mainly probably driven by Brexit. Um, so I think one of the things I want to kind of for people to think about is the fact that actually, or quite honestly, in the US, there's lots of reasons why we're probably in better shape than many other places around the world. Um, so that's the, the other thing I want to mention, um, because I do think sometimes people don't quite have that global context, that uh, there's a lot going right right now. We, we have political issues, we have other things that we all worry about, but uh, uh, there's many other aspects of, of the you know, functioning of the world where we're actually doing better than we were. Uh, Craig, should we move on to Doug?
0: Let's do that. Stick with us if you can, you pinder. Doug, it's always good to see you here. Welcome back. Uh, say hello to folks and share some of what is on your mind as we start this uh, year together.
7: Thank you guys. Hopefully again, you can hear me. Um, I haven't been as sick as recently, but I think everybody in the UK has been sick at some stage over the last two weeks, as from what I can tell. Um, yeah, an interesting discussion and, um, and certainly what I'd like to do is provide sort of my personal perspective, you know, coming from the CRO world. Uh, we're looking at running clinical trials that often are having um, hybrid elements to them. And at the same time, we're sort of aware of the fact that some of these tech companies, DCT tech companies, you know, they've been through their funding round. Um, and they're burning through their cash. And we've got to think, well, what's going to happen to these companies over the next four years? Um, Now, one of the things that's also combined with that, and I think it's relevant to bring these together is oversight. We see increasing uh, demands for oversight, both from the sponsor and from the sites. And I think what, this actually means in bringing it together is that the DCT companies the tech companies it's very important that they are able to uh, show and demonstrate value so look to their core look at what they're doing make sure that the elements of patient engagement the elements of capturing quality data are demonstrable so they can say to their sponsors look we're doing this we're doing x and not only we're we doing it we've got evidence that it's working for us um and i think that will help both the dct companies and help the sponsor companies be able to go yep we're, we're good there we've got all over our site uh we're showing value in what we're doing and i think that's where i see actually as, as was mentioned benefits in this sort of pulling in there's not money being throwing around uh there's money being focused on where value has been proven um, and come back to, from a CRO perspective, we're buying technology in to support our sponsors. We want to see stability. We want to make sure that the companies we contract with are showing value and are going to be around in four years time at the end of some of the studies we're running.
0: I think this uh, theme around oversight is also going to take us full circle, right back to where I think Jane started us. and. Thinking about regulators, regulatory clarity, um, oversight can mean so many different aspects, right? How do we enable and ensure investigators have the proper control and oversight that they need? How do we as operators in pharma have the right oversight that we need to ensure confidence and delivery? Doug, as you're thinking about oversight and all of the different stakeholders involved, what dimension of oversight is the most pressing challenge in your mind?
7: Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I think uh, all tech people um, in a CRO company, you know, they ha- they have this headache where they implement technologies uh, within the CRO. They create these platforms, they validate these platforms, and then a sponsor will come along and say, "Oh, that's great, uh, but you're going to use blah 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 tech or or whatever." Um, but that gives us a challenge, and there's increasing demands from regulators and auditors saying. We want to be able to see evidence uh, that you as a sponsor were providing appropriate oversight of the CROs and the sites throughout the life of the study. We want to see not only that you you had access to information in a dashboard, but that you actually actioned that information in the dashboard. One particular area which is problematic for tech people is this idea of reviewing an audit trail. You know, if anyone's in, in the call has been has looked at an audit trail coming out of an EDC system, it's not something you would routinely review. Uh, There's potentially thousands and millions of records. You're not gonna be digging through them going, yep, I looked at that, yep, I looked at that. It's just not practical. So we do have to implement tools and methods to say, okay, let's see where the outliers are and then provide evidence that can be demonstrated to an auditor saying look you know there's the uh, there's the sponsor looking at this report and checking this box to say they've they have carried out that oversight that's new and that's different previously the fact we gave dashboards was enough um but now it's not just provide a dashboard it's provide evidence that our dashboard was reviewed and actioned where appropriate and that's that's a challenge for us
1: so doug that, that's an interesting um topic you bring up because you know historically to be honest i think and i think nelson's sort of on on, on the deck he can talk about this too i mean i always found that sponsors even when even pre dashboards but let's say when they even got dashboards um even when they looked and there was let's say i'll, I'll just make up an example Let's mm-hmm. say it was clear that one site was clearly you know, an outlier, was doing things wrong, maybe in rating scales, etc. It was very hard to get sponsors to take any action, even at that point, even if they knew. And there was a historically a reluctance to kind of mess with things midstream, right? There was a conservatism. Um, so I'll be interested also because Nelson sits at the site level. I'm somewhat surprised to hear that the auditors were actually expecting sort of uh that that somehow you demonstrate actionability because i mean I'm not sure people would agree what the right action might have been, what does that mean exactly to have taken an action you know would it have been inappropriate you know is it the right thing to do mid study et cetera so that's a kind of an interesting thing that you bring up because I think that that certainly wasn't the case before.
7: Mm. I I mean, I think it is multiple. I mean, we're seeing this from multiple audits. It's not just a single auditor that's expressed their their personal opinion. We're seeing it from multiple auditors. And I think it's been triggered through draft regulations, draft guidance. that's coming from EMA, but also FDA. Um, And in particular, this this idea of responsibility of the investigator. So looking at the investigator, is the investigator uh, able to provide their Uh, review and oversight and responsibility for the data if it's going, you know, almost bypassing them through some of the technologies that we're providing. Um, I think there's a nervousness around that, and I think to some degree this is valid. You know, if you're saying, right, here's some great new technology to support your patients, um, if that great new technology is not also giving really powerful and effective tools to the sites to provide that, Oversight on behalf of their patients, then we're, we're missing out. You know, the, this is not what the sites are looking for.
4: Yeah, Nelson. can you can you comment sure. on like, if
1: you're seeing anything around this?
4: Yeah. Well, I guess I can speak in particular to the regulatory piece and then sort of big picture, 2023. But the, uh, I, you know, um, the main way sites get in meaningful trouble, meaning. Uh, official action indicated warning letter um, is when there's, you know, intentional misrepresentations going on. Um, And the key way to catch someone completely lying is with the use of seeing where they crossed out data, right? So we have Alcoa's principles, uh, legibility, where you have to keep records of what you crossed out, and that's the same concept as an audit trail without having the paper cross outs, which are all throughout a typical trial record, I I think as an auditor, the way to catch if someone is big time fraudulent is to surf through the audit trail. Um, uh, And in particular on anyone who you know, was ineligible and then got changed to be eligible, things along those lines. Uh, so, I, and and I tend to think audits, because they're happening remotely in many cases, most cases now, um, there's still a burden to sort of find something as an auditor. And this is where the juice is in the audit trail of whether a site is doing something horrible, um, just like it was in paper. I, I think big picture, though, in terms of how comfortable sites are with the scene and how they treat DCT companies and and pharma interacting with them. I think the great news in DCTs in 2023 is is all the site consolidation. You know, the biggest site network was just formed with when the for the founder of by, co-founder of IQVIA's uh private equity firm just bought a boatload of sites, now called Velocity, um, and just made a big buy for a few hundred million a couple weeks ago. So with big site networks, with big site networks, (laughs) I think we're no longer going to have sites pushing back nearly as much on DCTs. They just, uh, big companies figure it out. You don't hear CROs complaining about all the logins and all the technology to sponsors. And I don't think you'll hear big site networks doing it either.
0: Well, clearly, uh, Nelson, there is some oversight that you have in your uh, hands right now. uh, And I appreciate your your jumping in and sharing there. Um, Doug, uh, I was just uh, pulling up the recommendations paper from EMA. And I was kind of curious. The term oversight appears in that document times and so uh, clearly it's on the minds of the regulators and the recommendations that they've created I mean the document itself is only 17 pages of content before its appendix Uh, so that's that's quite a few mentions I do think you're on to something certainly around regulators having concerns about being able to demonstrate that stakeholders have the proper oversight. I guess to Amir's point, mm-hmm. it is interesting to say what is supposed to be the action based on that oversight, but at least step one, being able to demonstrate and show confidence that the stakeholders had the right access and visibility for their oversight responsibilities.
1: Yeah, and I think, Craig, the, I'll draw an analogy to the tech world. I mean, you know most people would argue that we're pretty regulatory light in the us when it comes to tech whether it's social media whether either it's monopoly power etc and i think what we've seen is the eu be far more aggressive uh, around regulations in tech right so i'm talking, not to talking my life sciences um so as we all run global trials i just wonder you know, historically, people have looked to FDA for a lot of leadership in many areas. But I just wonder if the if the EU, especially around whether it's data privacy or whether it will really force programs, especially the ones that have to be global, to really kind of conform to kind of the EMA standards, just like, you know, emission standards in the U.S. for cars are kind of driven by California. I just wonder, you know, what we think the impact is of EMA kind of... Um, Maybe being more, more proactive slash aggressive about certain issues. Thoughts on that, Craig or Doug?
7: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think this is a sort of catch up and then a, a move ahead from between the FT and the EMA. Um, so I'm I'm not surprised that um, this is being brought up. I, I think there are um, particular incidents that have triggered some of this, I won't mostly bring up examples, but, you know, it, it has to be, and I think, I mean, it was actually Nelson pointed out, you know, in the olden days, <laughs> you would look at pieces of paper and you'd see a cross out, but the more you, you um, decentralize activities, the more things can be buried and I think that can can worry people by saying actually it's it's in the database it's everything's okay it's in the database but from the auditors perspective they're going well I don't see I don't see whether that's good or bad in the database I, I need to see evidence that you guys have looked at it and made that assessment and I can can confirm that what you've got is actually good so I'm not I can't say I'm overly surprised that the regulators are picking up on that I think it just it's just a, maybe a coincidence. The EMA has picked it up first. FDA could just have pick, well, picked it up first themselves. Um, but oversight, I, th- I think, you know, just going back to my original point, I, I don't think oversight is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's possibly a good thing. And I think if uh, you can combine that with demonstrating value in the DCT world, I, th- I think it's it's good. I think we we do need to prove that what we're doing is better and of the greater value. Um, and as the money is squeezed for these DCT tech companies, you know, they're going to be reverting back to where value is proven. Um, so I th- I see that coming together. So that to me is what I'd see for 2023, uh, focus on value, focus on evidence and value.
1: Great, um, I'd like to actually, um, we have about seven minutes left. I'll just bring up something else different, I guess, um, and maybe more on a positive note. Um, you know, many people six months ago, a year ago, may not have heard about GPT-3. A lot of people may still have not heard about it, but, you know, if, you, if you're if kind of listening to the tech world, um, they all feel that Google stock's going to be under real pressure if they don't uh, actually launch, because they have their own GPT-3 kind of competitor, which they've chosen not to launch yet. And uh, very recently microsoft uh through the sort of the Bing arm is now going to collaborate you know with g p t three to make Bing be better than Google, perhaps in terms of search the The reason I bring that up it's it's kind of interesting that we sometimes also forget that there are times where technology comes along that really is disruptive, and the chances of that you know are not getting any less. Uh, especially around AI, and I wonder, you know, how that's going to affect kind of our world. I mean, one of I'll just pick an example of, and there's people on this call to focus on this full time. You know, our our constant challenge is connecting the right patient to the right trial. Uh, you know, I think, for instance, some of the CRO challenges last year in terms of stock prices probably driven by, you know, how hard it's been to get patients to get get into trials you know it is is technology going to help with that i mean a lot of people are trying with that but is is some really disruptive technology like gpg3 going to really suddenly you know move the field forward there's something that you know we don't necessarily think about every day but it's possible um don't know what other people think about that because it's you know yeah uh, i think a lot of tech people i talk to I actually think 23 will have several breakthrough technologies that will surprise people and uh, kind of change, about, change how we think about things.
0: Amir, can you um, help the audience to uh, understand what is GPT-3? I don't remember that from Star Wars. What, uh, what's your GPT-3 101 <laughs> like for that. folks
1: on the call? Sure, and uh, we have a very informed audience, so I apologize if most of you know. So I'll make it kind of quick. Um, So GPT three is a product from OpenAI, which interestingly Elon Musk was one of the founders. Um, So he's not everything about him isn't bad at the moment, but uh, most things are. Um, So GPT three is an AI that is a text-based AI, and I think till recently, I have a feeling they might cl- have closed because they're just overwhelmed with applicants. But uh, till very recently, you could go to uh, open uh, to OpenAI uh, and just uh, open an account for free. There's no cost to it at the moment. And then you put in a text uh, search, like a Google search, except you can say, you know, explain decentralized clinical trials to me as if I was a seven-year-old in in the style of a rapper. And you'd be shocked at how well it can do that. I mean, Craig and I and others have been playing for this for a while and kind of putting in um, information. And frankly, I mean, the, the people who are really scared, are people who are kind of their jobs could can completely be changed. So I've heard from marketers who say, you know they put in um you know they're working for a client who's going to rebrand and they they put in you know to gpg3 you know can you give, write me a press release around that well gpg3 has actually ingested pretty much everything on the internet so by just them saying hey company x uh, is going to rebrand you know what should the press release look like it knew everything about the company it had quotes from the ceo from before it was written frankly the way this person said better than any of their marketeers would have written it as so just a very an example from a different area it can write you your term papers so there's a lot of worry within the school system around being able to kind of you know anyone can basically ask this thing to write summarize something you can send um your talk to it and ask it to summarize it you know you can there's just so the the sky is the limit and we're kind of a version one i believe version 2 is being released this year and i believe google has actually had something similar because i'm never invested more than any tech company in ai they've chosen not to release it there could be different reasons for that one is it kind of is seen as a search killer like a google core product killer there's also problems with the fact that okay it knows everything on the internet that will drive some biases and some other issues so not everything it will say it's correct or driven from data that you know isn't biased so there's that usual AI problem but it is once you play with it it is remarkable you know you could basically you know start a blog on any topic knowing nothing about it and basically get GPT-3 to write it for you for free every week and be a blogger that seems to be an expert at some random area so that that's kind of and now I'm I'm touching the surface, uh, you know, in one my one minute explanation, but that's what GPT three is. So Amir, just for fun, while you were
0: talking, I typed into GPT three, explain decentralized trials in the style of a rap, since that was the example you brought up. <laughs> I will post the response on LinkedIn since we're running out of time. But let's just say it begins the AI response with, Yo, listen up, I'm about to drop some knowledge on decentralized trials, a concept that's dope. Gone are the days of a single site where data is collected and analyzed with might. Decentralized trials bring something new, data from multiple locations, all in view. And it goes on. So I think that's just a taste of the monstrosity that GPT-3 brings here.
1: And it does that like immediately, like you don't have to wait for it to think. As you said, you put in that question. And the more information you give it, the better the answer, but that it did all that like instantly based on your very simple question.
7: Hey, uh,
0: Doug, I think you were going to add something on GPT-3.
7: Yeah, I I think just very quickly, my my concern is, is, as Amir mentioned, it's all based on information. It's it's pooling. So it's able to present something that sounds extremely clever, but in actual fact, its core knowledge may be flawed and that is the risk with ChatGPT. You think, oh, it's brilliantly articulated a, a, a position, uh, but it's positions based on flawed uh, underlying data sets.
1: Well, right, it's like any technology, for instance, it could certainly amplify disinformation as an example, you're right, because mm. that's what it's seen. So that like any technology, like AI in general, um, there's going to be really good use cases, there's going to be frightening kind of possible downsides. So. That's for sure. I think the issue though is whether we like it, it's coming, it's here, right? So the question is how do we deal with it? Uh, But as you said, Craig, looks like we managed to run out of time before we ran out of topics. Uh, As
0: usual, and I think that GPT-3 topic will be a great one to come back to. I saw at least a couple of interesting perspectives in the chat around privacy concerns. Um, What does that mean here? So let's stay tuned on that one for sure. In the meantime, Thank you so much, Rob Nelson, Doug Upinder, um, and everyone who was able to join us here today as we're kicking off this year together. Uh, Wishing you all a great start to your 2023s and we'll look forward to coming back together in the weeks ahead. Keep your topic suggestions coming and we'll see you all soon.